0: it more and more full get to see that I think I heard about Shelly and the other well Shelly ordered it's one of the people ordered the Bible on she's only movies or recently ordered the Bible on the other than that I don't know how much truth she accepts who else so oh, I'm not her Alexander. She's on the but she's not reading the Bible and I don't know. If it's true. But she's in about three grades or so. She's in your mask for Alexander is
2: uh
0: we'll her order in the Bible plus one. I don't know how much potential Alexander has in her life. She's got the potential. You know, she's got potential, but
2: that's different from actually
0: having a subject in the church. Here. She's in the nurture no group, correctly. Maybe probably the group. Maybe the
2: Oh, oh. i <laughs> <laughs> anum chet anum chet anum
0: chet
2: I was my father, and was God, What to and great my and and Will be the, when, dead, years, the too, God's grace, and when we have the change of time shift from our most old we and we send and death, uh, bright mm-hmm. shining mm-hmm.
0: Good afternoon, everyone. Happy every have today. Praise God. Let me see if time. can find this next no song in my playlist. What the fan we have in Jesus. Yep, yeah, there it is. Call it today. What a we have in Jesus. This is going to be page 33 in our songbook. And we can. Yeah, all these lyrics I believe, right that we learn, right, from the downloads that we have available on our social media groups, and maybe we have all the lyrics, all the songs as well as the MP3 files, for the audio files, for all these songs as well. What a friend we have in Jesus.
2: ni <laughs> ni Oh, what a friend we have
0: in Jesus. Oh, Jesus Oh, What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. Let's see if I can find his eyes on the skyrocket. These songs are not in order on my flight. his is on this girl, his eye is on
2: this girl. Nice Why Should I hold
1: my
2: heart? Why? Should You <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> He 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 i <laughs> you. <laughs> And I I na na Okay. because I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry.
0: And because we know that He watches us, that gives us great comfort and peace. Because, as the Scriptures tell us, He is the great Shepherd watching after the flock, the congregation worldwide. Amen. As Sister Grace. Posted on MeWe this morning. We cannot hide from Him. Amen. We cannot hide from Him. He is watching us, He keeps track. And that should help us to be obedient. That should help us to turn down temptation, knowing that He's watching. But also, gives us great peace, great comfort because he knows what's around the corner and he knows all the false accusations. He knows where we stand in him and where we don't. He knows. Amen? Amen. It is not Santa Claus that's taken the list and that knows what you have done. But rather, it is Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We only serve one God. There's only one Spirit, one being throughout the entire universe that knows everything and that nothing escapes His eyes. Amen. There's no other way. He is the way, the life, and the truth. There's no other way into the kingdom of God. There's no other way. Into eternity only through Christ Jesus Amen. let us go in prayer Lord Heavenly Father that watches over us thank you Lord that there's nothing that escapes your attention that you do know all and that we cannot hide from you you know our strengths and our weaknesses you know our hearts and our minds You know our lives. You know all the accusations and persecutions against us. You know our sins and our righteousness. You are our Lord, our King, and our God. We ask you, Lord, to please use this sermon today to help us to become very firm and very well-rooted in the truth, even more than we ever was before. Please help us to become so well-rooted in the scriptures, in the truth, and in your spirit that we could never possibly be shaken or pulled up or fallen away by the enemy or even by ourselves. Please help us, Lord, to take good root and to bear forth good fruit for you and for your kingdom. Ask for your help in this. Please open our eyes. Please help us to see and comprehend better than ever before the truth of this matter that we will talk about in the sermon today. May somebody, either listening today or in the future, someone that listens to this sermon will repent of false doctrines, false worship. Will repent of Babylonian deceptions. May the truth be exalted and may Babylon fall to the ground, totally destroyed. And may those cracks in Babylon be formed today. May Babylon be destroyed even this day in our hearts, in our minds, and in the church. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Praise Jesus. Amen. Praise God. I love that song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Praise God. If you ever have any time of stress, that is the song, ain't it? Many other songs, many, many other songs, right? There are so many songs to take from that if we would just put on that worship music, close our eyes, and just focus on God. All of our troubles, all of our fears, all of our worries will just disappear if we look on the source of our strength, our hope, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one.
2: Amen. Praise God. Let's turn the book of
0: Isaiah which is the first Book of Prophets in volume number four. If you have the paperback editions of the Alpha Animator Bible, volume four is the Book of Prophets. And this is the way that several Bibles have been published throughout time. The very first printed Bible, of which of was which a full printed Bible, was in five volumes, just like we have the Alpha and Omega Bible. Volume four was the Book of Prophets. And that Bible, as well as this Bible, as well as several other editions of the Bible throughout time, it's very handy, beneficial in many different ways to have the Bible in five volumes. There's more than one reason why we have it that way more than one reason. Amen. It's very beneficial. I know that it's easy to get stuck in one mindset of how we as all of us, all of us raised. It don't matter what nation you was in, we all face the same problems in every nation and the same traditions of one Bible, one book. Amen. That's not unique to any nation. We was always having one volume, one book, one Bible. But it was not always so in that. During the times of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets before that, they had many different scrolls of the Bible. One reason, of course, was they did not yet have the technology and the know-how of how to put all the Bible into one book. But there are more reasons than that also, because God is in control, amen? When you have all the books, all the prophet books in one volume, that gives you an understanding about what books are the prophets. If you put all of history, the historical books, in one volume, if you put all the wisdom of psalm books in another volume, this gives you a better mindset, understanding, comprehension of the division of the Bible and the four gospel. The four gospel is more than just the New Testament. You know, there's a lot of churches, actually, that read only from, only from the New Testament. And then there's even a lot of people that own only the New Testament. And that's not right. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not edifying. It's not educational to the entire Bible to have the New Testament and no other book. Amen. But nevertheless, if we do put all the different sections of the Bibles in their own books, such as the New Testament, the prophets, and the Old and the wisdom, and so forth, then it does give us an understanding of the divisions of the Bible, the different generations, different teachings, and so forth. And there's many other lessons, and that's not really today's sermon, so I don't want to keep, That I don't want to keep talking about, but there are reasons, and there are multiple reasons. And I know some of you still don't understand what I just said about how that is beneficial. But I would nevertheless still give you, before I stop talking about it, I still give you just one more reason, out of many, is that you can put the pages side by side if you're comparing New Testament with prophets we're reading in Isaiah is where we're gonna to start today Isaiah 42 if you want to go ahead and turn in Isaiah 42 and it has parallel with the book of John and so you could take the, the New Testament and lay it right next to it and compare easier which I know you could always flip pages but it's helpful you not have to flip pages and have the book of John open up right next to it and look to your left and look to your right and prepare Isaiah and John laid right next, right beside each other is helpful. And then another thing is, if you want it to go out into the forest, sit under a tree and take just one volume with you in a book bag or something, and have it to be lightweight and easier to carry, you can have just one volume rather than taking a big volume with you. So there's other reasons as well, many other reasons. But God is in control, and that's the ultimate reason. God is in control. Amen. God is in control because it was not necessarily my choice or my opinion or what I wanted to do I really didn't want to put the Bible in five volumes. I really didn't. But that what became a necessity. became a necessity. And then eventually became affirmed and revealed that that's the way it had already been done in the first full planet Bible. So because of that historical fact, then I knew that it wasn't just my work alone, not my working and my decision I had made, but rather God was behind it right from the beginning. God was behind that decision. And it was God's choice that it was done. A lot of times we want to use human reasoning To be like, I want it this way. I don't like it that way. I don't like what Pastor Tim did. I don't like it that way. I like it the old way. But it wasn't my choice. It was God's choice. We all got to wake up to the fact that we can't always have it our way. When we try to do it our way, eventually there will be some kind of bad fruit for us. Eventually, there will be somewhere down the line. It might take just seconds or minutes or hours or days or weeks or months or even years that sooner or later it would catch up to us that we made the wrong decision. I've seen that over and over and over in my life when it took sometimes years until I came to realize, you know what, I made a wrong decision years ago. And just now come and realize it. But when we do not follow God's will, it will eventually catch up to us. we got to follow God's will, His way, His decisions. And that is also true with doctrine. Amen. We may have been raised to believe in something and taught that one way of belief all of our life because of mom dad brother sister or pastor or grandparents or whoever or friend aunt or uncle or someone teaching us this is the way it is this is the way it is and we were all taught something by family or friends or culture or society But there comes a time in in our lives that we must, must ask the difficult questions. Could it be, could it possibly be that we don't know everything? I mean, when we first come to Christ, are we not babies? When we first come to Christ, every one of us, when we are first saved, we are infants, babies, in Christ Jesus. And how would it be even possible to know everything correctly, to have all correct doctrine, when we are only babes in Christ when we first come to Him? And yet so many people want to hold so very tight onto what they think they know. And just because it doesn't match what what Pastor Tim says does not match what we already believe, so how can it be right? We all must be willing to grow in the truth and allow the Bible to change us allow the Bible change what you believe what you think how you look at things because the fact is we are none of us are entitled entitled to our own opinions of scriptures the Bible itself says that we should not have any private interpretation we have no opinion should not We do not have a right to our own opinion of the truth and of Scripture because the truth is the truth. And it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree, the truth is still the truth. There is no other possibility. Only the truth is the truth. Nothing else. So you can have your opinions and your mindset and your will all you want to, but in the end, Jesus will have the final word. Amen. We must be willing to seek out the Spirit of God, as the Bible says in Deuteronomy, and I believe even in John and other places, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, all of our soul, that is with a passion, a zeal. And you know most people don't have that in the churches of this world. They are so complacent. They do not have a zeal, that means a passion, for the truth. John 4 says that the Father is seeking, that means searching, for a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Why is he having to search if already? everybody if already the sage. If everybody's already worshiping in the truth, then why does he have to search for someone? He searched the whole world in the times of Noah and found only Noah. The scripture says it should be the same man. Amen. The world is filled with wickedness. Revelation 12, verse 9 says, Satan has deceived the entire world. That is you, that is me. It is everybody in this church. It is everybody in that church and that church and that church and that church. church, The whole world is no exception to that. We were all deceived. Every one of us. So we must, must test ourselves about what we believe. And there is no greater commandment than the first commandment that there should have no other gods. No other gods. That's the first commandment, and there's a reason why it is the first commandment because that is the foundation, that is the rock, that is the core, that is the number one most important doctrine that you must first come into acceptance of is that there is a God, a God, who He is, what His name is, and that there's only one, not two, not three, not a million not 500 only one you can't get more basic you can't get more elementary foundational beginning and important than that nothing more important Amen. that most people who believe in the Trinity are actually ignorant of what the Trinity Doctrine says. And I don't say that as an insult, I say that as a fact that most people that believe in the Trinity doctrine do not realize, do not know what the Trinity Doctrine actually says. There are many people that believe in the Trinity Trinity that believe falsely believe. That the Trinity is just simply believing in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, and that he is one. And, that, and that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. But that's their assumption. They have not looked into it. They've not researched it. They have not asked the difficult questions. They have not asked their pastors what it really means. They have not looked at the manuscripts of the official documents of the Catholic Church and the other churches to see what the Trinity doctrine actually says. It says much more than that. What it says is, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three separate, distinct, Totally different people. Three different people. Totally separate and distinct from one another. That's what it says. So they are saying that the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father nor the Son, and vice versa, that they are not the same being. There are three different beings. Make no mistake about it. That's three gods. They say that's one god, but that's common core math. That's Democrat math where one plus one equals three, or just one equals three in this case. And three equals one. It's common core math. It's it's not logical. It is not logical. Amen. The truth is logical. The truth is logical. The truth makes sense. Whereas the lies and false doctrines of this world really do not make sense. They are not logical. Amen. And we can talk about a lot of things. But, as I said, this is so foundational. That if there be anyone out there, old or new to the ministry, unless you get this right, how can you get anything else right? How can you be baptized? How can you be saved? How can you even know God? If you don't have the basic understanding of something this fundamental. It is like your first spoon of milk. Amen. So we got to make sure we have this right. In Isaiah 42, let's start in verse uh, 5. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Page 32 here in the volume 4. Isaiah 42, verse 5. say of Jesus, theos who made the universe and established it, who settled the earth and the things in it, and gives breath to the people on there, and spirit to them that tread on it or walk on the earth i jesus Theos, has called you in righteousness and will hold your hand thank god he will hold our hand and i will strengthen you and i have given you for the covenant of a race for a light to the gentiles to open the eyes of the blind and to bring the bound those in bondage and then that sit in darkness out of bonds out of bondage and and the prison house to bring them out of the prison to rescue people to bring people out of the lifestyle that results in arrest people that don't know God end up in prison and on probation being arrested over and over. And you know how many people in prison claim they know God? You know how people, how many people get arrested almost every month or two or three times every year and they think they know God? But God wants them to know Him. Amen. God wants to reach out to them according to this verse and other verses. Amen. God wants to reach out to the prisoners, to the lawless, to the sinners. He did not come to save the righteous. They came to save the sinners. And uh, who is speaking here? It's God, right? Even if you're looking at King James or New American or NIV, it don't matter what translation you're looking at, God is speaking. The Lord in all capitals, the Lord. He is speaking. And so he's come. He wants to open the eyes of the blind, and that's not only physical, but also spiritual, and also physical. Amen. And to to deliver people who are in bondage. That's not just in jail, but also spiritual bondage, to Babylon as well. God wants to save us. Amen. But this is very interesting because hold your finger there. Now let's open up the book of John. Well, actually, not but maybe John. Let me think of where that's at. Uh, Luke, Luke 4. Just keep that right there and let's open up Luke 4 right next to that. Like I said earlier, we we'll put the New Testament right next to that because this is mind blowing right here. Amen. Luke 4, verse 17. Luke 4, verse 17, and the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is actually more correctly pronounced, that Gesaeus, yeah, was handed to him, a scroll. It wasn't a whole Bible. Just Isaiah by itself was handed to Jesus in the temple, and he opened it, the scroll, it should say that, Rather, it should say scroll, not book and found the place where it was written. Quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. it's very similar to what we just read and we're going to read a different verse in Isaiah in just a minute that's even closer to what we just read here in Luke but you get the basic principles here is that Jesus was quoting Isaiah the Old Testament he was quoting the Isaiah about being sent to release people That are captives in bondage, jails, or even spiritual, and to heal the blind, the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Amen. And then look, keep that open there, and turn to Isaiah 61. Verse 1, Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of Jesus is upon me because he has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the broken in heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Amen. Now that recovery of sight to the blind is missing in the King James and many other translations, they took it out. I guess they don't want the blind to see, do they? The blind lead the blind, don't they? The blind lead the blind, they don't want people to see the truth. So that verse got taken out of Isaiah 61 in most Bibles, but Jesus quoted that part of the verse and the entire verse. In Luke 4. So we know it was there because Jesus quoted it. So you can know the truth by looking at agent quotations. Amen. Of how Jesus and Paul and others, and Josephus and uh, Philo, the one that wrote Hebrews, how they quoted the Bible. Because they had the agent manuscripts. Amen. More agent than any other manuscripts we've got available to us today. They had the agent manuscripts. So we can look at their quotations and find how the Bible was originally written. Amen. And Jesus included that passage of recovery of sight to the blind so we know it was there. Amen. But more than that is Jesus is saying He was sent to fulfill this Bible verse, but yet it was God saying it, especially in chapter 42 in Isaiah. And we'll go back to chapter 42 now, which we're gonna read more. Isaiah forty two. It was God speaking. To us. Amen. And even though Jesus was reading Isaiah. He was talking about himself, wasn't he? Everybody agrees that he was. Almost everybody agrees that Jesus was speaking of himself. He did go around healing the blind. Amen. He was talking about himself. And because of that, he was calling himself God. Amen. He was calling himself God. He was reading the Bible about himself. Amen. Praise God. Now, in Isaiah 42, notice the next verse, verse 8. I am Jesus, theos, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praises to graven images. But yet, the New Testament says that Jesus is the graven image of God. what it says you can write it down to look it up later I forget exactly it's on the tip of oh Hebrews yeah then Hebrews so that needs to be added at the end of verse 8 there Robert to give a reference to Hebrews about where that's at we're going to add that in the PDF copy Because that would be good there. And it's significant, according to this verse, about his name. Amen? Because he says, this is my name. His name is directly connected with his identity. Amen? Amen? Your name is connected with your identity. His name is directly Connected with his identity. And I will not give my glory to another. Nor my phrases to graven images, but yet Jesus was praised and worshipped by the disciples. Amen. And by the angels. The Bible says that the angels worshipped Jesus. Amen. So this is very clear that Jesus and the Father are not two separate distinct persons regardless of what the Trinity doctrine falsely teaches and you compare these verses and all the other verses in the entire Bible leaving nothing out not ignoring anything then it's extremely clear that the Father and Jesus are one and the same person. In verse 9, behold, the aged things have come to pass, and so were the new things which I tell you. Yes, before I tell them, they are made known to you. And here we are going to add two references. At the end of verse 9, I would like for you to take your ink pen and add a reference to. Uh, to uh, Amos 3 verse 7. Amos 3 verse 7. And John 14 verse 29. Add those right there in your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible. It's really good for you to write in your Bible because if you write in your Bible, then next time you come across that verse in reading the Bible a year from now, three years from now, you can cross-reference it, and you can look up those other verses to remind yourself and to teach others. So it's very, very helpful to write in your Bible. And the reason I put Amos 3-7 there, if you want to just hold your finger there so you don't lose it or put a bookmark, piece of paper or something, go to Amos 3-7, right there in the same book of prophets, Volume 4, Amos 3, 7. What page is that? 177. Page 177. Page 177, Amos 3, verse 7. For the Lord Jesus would do nothing except first revealing the chastisement or the discipline to his servants, the prophets. God always sends a warning before punishment. Yes, He does. Amen. And so, Isaiah 42, verse 9, that before things come to pass, He's going to make it known to us. He's going to tell us the prophecies. We should have prophecy as part of the full gospel. Not just John 3:16. There's more to the gospel than just John 3.16. Amen? And then also i said the other place that we will put a reference to in John 14, verse 29. So in your new Testament, turn to John 14, verse 29. John 14, 29, now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe Amen. And at the end of that verse, I'd like for you to take your ink pen and write down two references. Isaiah 42, verse 9, and Amos 3, verse 7. Again, that's Isaiah 42, verse 9, and Amos 3, verse 7 that will help you in your future Bible studies, including if you want to go back over this sermon tomorrow maybe or sometime in the week, which I do recommend that people do. So we see here that Jesus, in verse 29, John 14, is saying that he is the one. He is the one that tells us prophecy. Before they happen, Amen. And yet Isaiah 42 says God is the one that tells us the prophecies that reveals them, Amen. So it's clear that Jesus is the Father. They're not two separate beings. They're not two separate spirits, persons, godheads, or any such thing. They're not two separate beings, Amen. It's very clear if you will compare verse with verse. Very clear, amen. Now we will, here in a few minutes, look at the verses that they use to try to teach the Trinity. We got to look at both sides. So we will look at the verses that they use. Okay, we will get to that. But let's take it one step at a time.
1: Amen.
0: Uh, take it one step at a time. Let's go back to Isaiah. 42 verse 7, I want you to add references to the end of verse 7. Isaiah 42 verse 7, add these references. At the end of verse 7, to Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And write Luke 4, verse 17 to 19. That's Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, and Luke 4, verse 17 to 19. Now let's go down to chapter 43. Isaiah 43, verse 10. Isaiah 43, verse 10. Be you my witnesses, and I too am a witness. Underline where it says, I too am a witness. Say of Jesus, Theos, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there was no other Theos, and after me there shall be none. I am Theos, and beside me there is no Savior. What? 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 Because isn't Jesus Christ our Savior? If you call yourself a Christian, or if you say that Jesus died for your sins, or if you say that Christ died for your sins on the cross, then you're saying that Jesus, the one in Isaiah 43, Verse 11 is your Savior. How can they be two separate beings? How can they be two separate persons? There's only one Savior. There's no other Savior. And there was no other God before or after. So the people that believe that Jesus is God, but He's a separate person, that would be contradictory. To the verse here that says there won't be another god to come later right amen there won't be another god to come later that's what he said and didn't it say over here in chapter 42 that he created the universe didn't say that kind of all over the place and maybe that was in john or luke or something I know we read it just a while ago, that he created the universe. Yeah, 42 42 verse 5, 5, thank you. That he made the universe. He made it. Well, what does John 1 say? John 1 says that Jesus created all things. And what does Colossians say? We'll read it here in a minute. Colossians 1 also says that Jesus created all things, everything. Everything, everything, everything. There was nothing created that was not created by and through Jesus. So, right there, He's God and He's not a separate being because there was no one before the Creator, no one before the Creator, and no God after the Creator, even though we're all gods. You can get mad at at me if you want to, but that's what the Bible says twice, and Jesus quoted it. We're all gods, but we're not the God. We are not the God. And it took me decades. Knowing that the Bible said that, it took me decades to believe that verse even though it's written twice in the Bible. I know it's very difficult to swallow. But it does not mean, and I do not teach, that you are the creator, that you are the God, that you're the Alpha and the Omega. I do not teach that. Because the Bible does not teach it. But Jesus did say, and quote from the Bible, that did I not call you God's? They are gods because dogs give birth to dogs, cats give birth to cats, elephants give birth to elephants, and God gives birth spiritually and created physically, his own children, gods. Amen. We are the sons of god we are the sons of god we are the children of god and if we are the children of god and hearts of god and joint hearts with christ and will sit on the thrones of god as the bible teaches us and we shall judge angels as the bible teaches us and yes we are gods That we are the children of the almighty not the same as being legal it's not blasphemous it's only hard to swallow because it was always programmed brainwashed to believe that it was sinful and blasphemous to believe the Bible when it says that you are God's blasphemous you can't believe it, it was so programmed so stuck in rejection of this what the scriptures plainly teach. Amen. But there's only one creator that created all things, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. And there has be none other after him as far as being the God, the Alpha, the Omega. Amen. And then let's go over to chapter forty-four. Isaiah forty-four. Verse 24. Thus, say of Jesus that redeems you. And isn't Jesus the Redeemer? He's the Redeemer. He's the Savior. He's the Creator. The Savior and the Creator and the Redeemer. Jesus that redeems you, who formed you from the womb. I am Jesus that performs all things. I stretched out the universe alone. Alone. And established the earth. There was not two, nor three, nor a million different gods that created the universe. But he did have children. We did not create the universe. And he was alone at that time. But yes, he did partition himself before he created the earth in the humans, or at least before you created the humans, he petitioned himself. And that's where it gets difficult for people to understand. Because they always imagine God as a six-foot, six-inch man, and actually three six-foot men. They imagine a the father as a six-foot man sitting on a throne, and the son. As a six-foot man sitting on another throne right next to him, and then a lot of people even imagine the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit as a third person sitting on a third throne in heaven. Three different gods on three different thrones in heaven, and all of them that one six-foot, and next one six-foot, and the third six. That's people their imagination of God and the Catholic teaching, actually. That's the Catholic teaching. That's the Baptist teaching. That's the Pentecostal teaching. That's the Lutheran, the Presbyterian, the wesleyan and you can go all the way down the list. Three people. The Trinity. That's the Trinity doctrine. And that causes confusion. Who do I pray to? And even after people start believing in one God, they email me out I don't know how many times I've got the same email from a million different people who do I pray to after they told me they don't believe in the Trinity. You either believe that there is one person, one being, one spirit, or else you don't. Either you believe or you don't. God is one. So it's hard to get that out of people's mind of being two or three people. But once you get that out of your mind, it's easy whom to pray to. There's only one God as far as the creator of God. Amen. It's simple. Just pray to God. You can call him the Father. You can call him the Son of God. You can call him the Son of mankind. You can call him Savior or Redeemer. You can call him King or kings, Lord of lords. You can call him Alpha or Omega. But he's still one person, one being, one God. He is one. Amen. So it's not confusing about who you pray to. Amen. The problem is people like to divide God into three people who is small, six foot tall, six foot tall, six foot tall. The reality is that God feels the entire universe. He is spirit, not flesh. He is spirit. Bible says God is spirit. And he feels the entire universe. He's in China. At the same time, he's in America. So he can heal the blind in China or hear a prayer. Save the sick, deliver the captive in China, Russia, Korea, Australia, and even an astronaut on the International Space Station, and America, and Mexico, and way down there in Peru, and Zimbabwe, and Nigeria, and all across the world at the same time. At the same time. And it's not just because he has a good speaker system. Amen. And it's not just because the angels are reporting to him. But whenever he wants to see, he sees all things. Whenever he wants to know, he knows all things. But he can choose. He can choose to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. and he chooses to. But he does exist in all places all at the same time. So he did partition himself before he created humans. He said to himself, he knew that humans that he was about to create would be in the flesh. He had a plan. He knew he was going to take the dirt and the water, mix it up, and out come a human. He knew how he was going to do it. He was going to mix light and fire water and stone and dust. Everybody thinks it was nothing but dust. Oh, come on now. Come on now. Your bones and your teeth, they are rocks. They are stone. There's water in your body. There's stones in your body. So it's more than just dust. It is more than just dirt. He made all these things, which even the stones were made from dirt, but he brought all of it together, all the different ingredients and components together to make Adam and then Eve. He created humans in the flesh. So he he knew that the flesh would die, even as the Bible says, over and over, That the flesh would die if they saw God in His fullness, 100% full, without a curtain, without a veil, without any hindrance. If they saw God, if we saw God completely as He truly is, as the lake of fire and the energy that exists throughout the entire universe, who created the sun and every sun and all the different millions of suns that exist. Because there are millions of sons throughout the universe. He created all of that. So he's massive, he's strong, he's powerful. And so we would die unless he separated himself into a partition of a seed of himself, which became the sun. even before he created humans. He did petition himself. And the Bible does teach this. Hebrews teaches this. And I believe even all the verses teach us this. But that's not a new person. He just said, I'm going to take my right hand and do this. And I'm only going to let you see only my right hand. I'm only going to let you see only a part of myself. But that is not a separate person. Amen. Let's go on over here to what chapter were we already in? That was 44, right? All right, and let's go over to 45, verse 5. Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am Jesus' theos, and there is no other theos besides me. I strengthen you, and you have not known me. Now, the Bible says, and it may even be in Isaiah, that you are God's. But when it says here, there's no other theos besides me, he's saying that he's only one. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Ain't that what he's saying over right? No other fields, only one. Amen. There's no other fields. So he's talking about himself that he is one. That is what he is saying. These are verses over and over and over, all these different passages and comparisons. Verses that the Trinity doctrine people don't like to read because it exposes their lies. let's go over the book of Revelation now Revelation chapter 1 if you want to know the truth you got to look at a lot of different Bible verses you've got to look at a lot of different Bible verses in order to make for sure that you really understand the truth Amen. Revelation 1 verse 8, they always want to try to lie and claim that this is not Jesus saying this. But it is as clear as day that it is Jesus speaking. It couldn't be more clear. But they refuse to see it. They're blind. The blind leading the blind. They're so sort of stuck in their doctrine of what they've been taught by somebody, some church, some pastor, some denomination, they're so stuck in it that they can't even see the obvious that it's Jesus talking. It's very sad, really. Amen. Revelation 1, verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord Theos, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty amen the almighty now it doesn't say the alpha is one person and the theos is another person and the almighty is a third person but i guarantee you there's probably somebody out there that wants to twist it that way because that's the way they do that is the pattern of twisting if it says okay it says alpha it says the Omega, and it says the Almighty, There's three. That's how they twist the Bible. <clears throat> that is on purpose, looking to validate your own lie. That's what that is. Trying to reach for straws. Of trying to twist the Bible. That's outright twisting. That is totally outright twisting it. Amen. But he is saying he is the eternal, which is the same thing that he said in Exodus 6 in different words that he is the eternal. If we make this out and twist it to mean that there are three, then we have to ignore everything we already read. Everything we've already read. In John, in Luke, in Isaiah. Everything we read, we'd have to just forget and throw out the window and tear it out of the Bible. If we want to try to twist this to believe that there are three different persons, look at chapter 21, Revelation 21. He says it again. He says it in the beginning of Revelation, and then again at the end of Revelation, Revelation 21 verse six. Revelation 21 verse 6. Then he said to me, It is finished. Ain't that what Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I would give to the one who thirsts. From the stream of the water of life without cost. Hold your finger there. Ain't it John 7? Yeah, John 7, verse 37. Jesus said that he was the one that gives you water to thirst. If you're thirsty, come to him. John 7, verse 37. Page 110. John 7 verse 37 this was on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles John 7 verse 37 page 110 John 7 verse 37 now on the last day the great day of the fiesta Jesus stood and spoke loudly saying if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink he didn't say let him go to the Father he didn't say let him go to him or to someone else but let him come to me and drink he who commits to me as the scripture says from the innermost being from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water and it was a very bold statement for him to say that on the last day of the feast, because everybody in that day and time understood that water was a symbol of For the Savior God. But water was a symbol for the Savior God, and that was a thinking, a teaching that was fundamental in the Feast of Tabernacles. Fundamental. Every Jew, every Israelite and Gentile that had been baptized into the God of Israel, they understood at that time. That water was a symbol of the Savior that would wash your sins away at baptism. They knew that. And that it was a, a, a teaching that was fundamental to all the holy days, including the last day of the feast. He said that, come to me and drink. Amen. On that particular day, it was a, a very bold statement. And then we go back to Revelation Revelation 21, verse 6. I'm the Alpha Mega, the beginning, and end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the streams of the water life of life without cost. Verse 7 He who he who overcomes will inherit these things. And that reminds me of Romans 8, as it says in the footnote there. Amen. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, his theos, and he will be my child. Jesus is saying, He's the Father. Come to me and you will be my child. He's saying, I'm your Father. Amen. It can't get more clear than that. It cannot get more clear than that. Amen. God is so good. Amen. And let's go over to Mark 12. Let's go read what Marcus said, and that was his real name was Marcus. Marcus, chapter twelve, verse twenty-eight. Good old brother Marcus. Marcus, twelve, verse twenty-eight.
2: Page sixty.
0: Mark 12, verse 28, and we're going to read God willing from here all the way down through verse 40. Mark 12, 28 says, One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all commandments? What is the most best commandment? Jesus answered. The foremost is, quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Theos is one Lord. He was quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. One Lord, not three. Not three. Now verse 30 says, he continued to quote, verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your Theos with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other commandment greater than these. And what he was saying basically is that all the Ten Commandments are summed up by two commandments. He did not teach that the Ten Commandments were done away with. He did not. Because he himself said in Matthew, what, five or six. he did not come to destroy the law and the prophets and then he explained how to keep the ten commandments as soon as he said that as soon as he said that he started teaching how to keep the ten commandments so that's what he was talking about he wasn't talking about but he didn't remove circumcision or unclean meats but rather he was talking about the ten commandments it was specific to the Ten Commandments because that is what he began to explain as soon as he said it. he was explaining himself Amen. that I've heard people even even one man at least one maybe more came in here a long time ago saying that we should still still do the unclean meats and we should still do circumcision because Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law, and that not one jot shall pass from it until heaven and earth pass away. So we still got to do circumcision, and we still got to do the unclean meats. And a lot of people bring up that verse in the argument for unclean meats and circumcision, a lot of people. You know what I said? I said, in that case, the next time you sin, you must sacrifice an animal. And every time that you sin, you must kill another animal and sacrifice it. And I will hold you accountable to that. I will hold you accountable to that. You must do it. Because you just said that no law, none, absolutely no law, will ever pass in any of the Old Testament, in any of the Old Covenants, to heaven and earth pass away. People don't understand that when he said that he would not do away, destroy the law and the prophets, he was specifically talking about the Ten Commandments because that is what he went on to explain as soon as he said it. As soon as he said it, he explained himself. If we try to force that we must still do the unclean meats and the circumcision, then we must also sacrifice animals because Jesus did not die for us. He did not die for our sins if we want to use that verse to demand that none of the law of any of the Old Testament was done away. You've got to be able to allow yourself to think and examine and question what you believe. And look at both sides of the argument. Otherwise, it's not a fair study of the Bible. Amen? People, People say they study the Bible, but they refuse to look, refuse to read, and refuse to even consider that they might be wrong about something. Especially pastors, they are the hardest-headed people, and the Baptists, very hard-headed, and the Seventh-day Adventists, very, very hard-headed. But so is everybody else too, English. You gotta be willing to allow the Bible to change your false opinion. You really shouldn't have opinions. You just, you should just. Study, 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 study. Look at both sides. Fast and pray and choose to believe. Choose to believe rather than forming your own opinion on that. So, anyway, it says that basically the Ten Commandments were summed up with those commandments. So, then when we go to verse 32. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else except him. If there was two people that was God, or three people that was the creator of God, then it would say that there is three and there are three, and that those three are one. But it doesn't say that in that verse, does so we teed it? So repeatedly, it. The Bible is teaching the oneness of God. Verse 33 And to love Him, not them, but Him, with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Amen. According to the Bible, and I believe it's Galatians that says, and as well as some results, it says that the maybe Romans says that the sacrifices were added, and that all the other laws and ordinances were added. That he never even wanted sacrifices right from the start. The Bible says, but he didn't even want the sacrifices. That was only added because people was breaking the commandments, so God had to make Additional rules, additional laws to get the people under control. If a child is rebellious and disobedient, more additional rules are established to get the child under control. But there was no need originally for the sacrifices. Circumcision and unclean meats. all of those were added later because of the breaking of the ten commandments verse 34 when jesus saw that he had answered intelligently he said to him you're not far from the kingdom of theos and after that no one would venture to ask him any more questions and jesus began to say as he taught in the temple how is it that the scribes say that the christ is the son of david David himself said in the holy breath, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. They did so, enjoyed listening, because this was new understanding, edification getting deep into the scriptures rather than a generic teaching. He was asking difficult questions and he was teaching people to ask difficult questions. Amen. I'm wondering why the uh, screen says there's only one person listening. I hope that is a defect because there was uh, four people but maybe that's just a glitch in the system It's being recorded either way so i just continue but the lord himself said the lord said to my lord Sit at my right hand until i put your enemies beneath your feet that was written in psalms then i have to compare that to um, 1 corinthians 15 talking about the resurrection the resurrections and that ultimately God should become whole again. It talks about that. It says that. So there is a division within God because it does teach in more than one place in the Bible that Jesus would rise back up to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. And then in the book of Revelation, you see the Father handing the scrolls, the seven scrolls, to the Lamb of God. No, you do have basically a left hand and a right hand, and so that's what confuses people. And they're like, automatically, well, that must mean that there's two people because you have an interaction, just like Jesus praying to the Father, submitting himself to the Father, and glorifying the Father, but not glorifying himself and not exalting him himself. He came as the suffering servant, so it has to be two. But when people think like that, they're thinking. Carnally. They're thinking fleshly. They are or limiting the size of God. You have, when you catch yourself talking like that, you have to remember that God is in every nation, every planet. And so we're thinking about, you got to remember that when Jesus said at the right hand of the Father, it is that part of God that exists at that throne. He's not limited to a space of six foot tall and a foot wide. He's not six foot tall and a foot wide. When you think of Jesus sitting on the right hand side, you're thinking of the six foot. You gotta stop doing that. The part that is on the right hand side is not six foot, but rather it is that part of God that exists in that seat. There's another part of God that is in China. There's another part of God in Mexico. There's another part of God in Canada. There's another part of God in Peru. He's all over the earth. There's another part of God in the International Space Station. If you break a stone open, he's there. If you cut the wood, he's there. If you lie a fire, he's there. If you go to the grave, he's there. You cannot hide from God in the grave, the Bible says. So there's part of God everywhere, but these are not a million gods that we're talking about when we say that he's in all these places you got to remember that, that he does exist on even the left side of the throne. He exists behind the throne, under the throne, inside the throne, he exists. But the part that came in the flesh, of course he prayed to the Father and submitted himself to the Father because that, that part of himself that came in the flesh was only a small part of himself that could fit as the conception inside Mary. He could only put a small part of himself. The Bible says that he emptied himself out in order to do that. That he drained himself of much of his knowledge, much of his uh, authority and his power, because Jesus said he had no authority of himself. And then after the crucifixion and resurrection, he said that the Father had given him all authority in heaven and earth. So when he came to earth as an infant, he had emptied himself of of much of his authority and much of his knowledge. The Bible does teach us these things. So he had to submit himself to the greater measure of himself. He had to submit himself to the greater measure of himself in heaven. So we keep going here in Mark 12, and it says here, verse 38, in his teaching he was saying, beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long rows, and like they like the respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and, and they like to see seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses, and for appearance sake, offer long prayers. These will, will, will receive greater condemnation. Amen. And it is extremely significant that God brings me to this chapter today. Amen. Extremely significant. Because what day was that when we went to eat? Thursday. Huh? Thursday, Thursday days ago. Okay. So just two days ago, Thursday, we my wife and I and Brother Robert, we always eat out to eat at a sit down dining restaurant and it was an all-you-can-eat buffet praise the lord and the banana pudding was out of this world and the chocolate fudge was out of this world i do have to confess a sin because i stowed a piece of chocolate put it in my pocket to bring home (laughs) it was so good and that stuff is usually like over six dollars I acted like a little old lady, a little old man putting some chocolate bars in and in a napkin put in my pocket that was a sin. I confess it to the whole church. but it's awesome that the Lord brings this verse back because I sit down. And lo and behold, over there, a couple couple of tables away from me, was this uh, Babylonian Baptist man that I knew from a long time ago, back when I used to uh, go to a Baptist church for a year. And at that time, when I used to go to that church, he would stand up repeatedly on different days, another day and another day and another day. He would stand up and say he was at the restaurant praying, and people would come over to him, praising him, thanking him and saying how good he was for praying in public. And he would always make a point that he was praying in public and that people was praising him because he used different words, of course. But he would always have to tell, always have to stand up, and talk about his prayers, about how holy he was for praying in public, about how everybody was praising him. And I noticed also that there at the restaurant that day, he was going around talking to a lot of different people and being buddy buddies with them, and everybody was buddy buddy with him. And he was talking about me and raised his voice to where he knew that I could hear him talk about me and everything else. But he was so buddy-buddy with so many people in that place. It reminded me of one of the homeless friends that I used to have, how he was buddy-buddy with everyone. And it's that mentality of coexistence with evil, coexistence and peace, so-called peace, with anyone that claims that they know God but don't keep the commandments, It goes completely contrary to Scripture. And just buddy buddy up with everybody and be friends with everybody, be nice, be loving, and just be peaceful with everybody except for do not be at peace with those that will call you out for your lies and your deceptions and your false teachings and your demonic teachings, things like that, or who refuse to listen to your crap. Don't don't coexist with them, of course. Get angry at them and talk about them and point the finger at them, of course. That coexist with the enemy all you want to and and my homeless friend was not saved but he thought he was and wore a cross necklace all the time but he wasn't saved he was an alcoholic which nothing wrong with drinking but it is wrong to allow the alcohol to totally dominate the life And that's being an alcoholic. And that's what he was. And buddy buddy with all kinds of evil, with people doing all kinds of drugs. Buddy buddy up with them. And this is the mentality that that Babylonian preacher at the restaurant had. So it's very interesting that it says that he, verse 39, loved the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets that reminds me of a buffet a banquet Amen. man and the long robes in verse 38 there's a lot of people in the Pentecostal churches which he was not straight that he was sort of half Pentecostal half Baptist. And the Pentecostals believe in the long robes long sleeves a lot of Pentecostals won't even allow a man to mow a shirt. I mean, mow a shirt. <laughs> won't even allow the man to mow a yard with the shirt off or go to the beach with the shirt off or any such thing because you got to have long robes, long pants, hide your arms, hide your legs. It's like the Muslims it's making the women completely cover up. But they think that's holiness. They think that's holiness, and it's not. Amen. God praise the Lord for confirming, them, bringing these scriptures together. But God will have the final word in that situation. Amen. Let's go over to one Corinthians chapter twelve. One Corinthians twelve. Verse 3, I know my sermons are long, but if you are going to witness to people, teach people, teach your own family, your friends, then you've got to have more than one point and you've got to have more than one verse. Because they're going to be bringing up point after point after point themselves very quickly, very fast, because they never want to dwell very long on one point because they know what they do. If you have time to think, if you have time to question, then they will be exposed for their lives. They never dwell on one point more than just a minute or two before they're right over to another point. That's the way they do. I've seen it a million times. They won't stop and think for themselves, and they don't want you to stop and think either. So I do take my time on some of these verses. we got to take our time on some of these verses. But we also must have many points and many verses to prove our point. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of Theo says, Jesus was lifted up for sacrifice, and no one can say Jesus is Lord. Really mean it, really understand it, says the footnote, unless accepted by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are varieties of spiritual empowerments, but the same spirit. Now, think about that. Pause. Think about it. There are varieties of spiritual empowerments. Other translations say gifts, a variety of gifts, such as healing, speaking in tongues, and other gifts but all by the same Spirit. Amen? Verse 5, there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of works, but the same Theos, who works all things in all people. But to each one, each person, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. the one person is given the word of wisdom to the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith, by the same spirit. And to another person, spirits, and of healing, by the one spirit, underlying that one spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. And to another, various kinds of talk. And to another the interpretation of tongues verse 11 but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one each person individually as he wills even as the body is one and yet has many members all of us many different members of the body of Christ many brides well, Matthew 25, you can argue with it day and night, honey, but Matthew 25 still says there are many brides, ten brides, only five actually married Christ. That is symbolism for the church. Many brides of this one man God, the one and the same spirit, The body is one, the church is one, and yet it has many members or many bride, uh, uh, brides, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are also one body, so also is Christ. Wow. Christ is one body. Oh! Bingo! That is bingo. Amen? For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. All of us, all of us are one flesh, one spirit, one body, one body. This is what it says, one body. This knocks out of the ballpark. Two doctrines of Babylon, the Trinity and the Forbidding of Penigophy. It knocks it out of the ballpark. And I know that's very difficult for some of you to accept. But when you prepare Matthew 25 and verses in Deuteronomy and verses throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. The Father, how he married Judah and he married Israel, two women. How Jesus himself proclaimed himself a conigribus in Matthew 25, coming for a church consisting of five to ten brides, virgins. And then this body beyond many members many different members of the body of Christ the bride of Christ so they're all one flesh one body symbolically. symbolically it's hard to swallow when you are resistant to new understanding better understanding deeper understanding But when the Bible is so clear, even if it goes against the grain, even if it ruffles your feathers, even if you don't want to agree with me, because this ain't my opinion, it's Bible. It's Bible. So I don't care how you was raised, what you used to believe, or even what you believe right now. The Bible is clear. Amen. Bible is clear and we're going to let the Bible change our thinking time is short time is short and yes there are two resurrections so if we don't get it right in this life we still got that other chance praise God for that praise God but he also holds us responsible for what we hear For what we receive now. Isn't that true also? That if we are presented with the truth now, then we are held responsible for that. So I would urge caution for you to not throw out of the window and for you to not tread under your feet the knowledge of truth. That is presented to you, no matter how difficult it is. Take time to study the scriptures. Amen. And look at both sides. Amen. Because the whole world's been deceived. You gotta look at both sides to really find the truth. And you got to want the truth, you got to want and be willing to change your mind. Amen. Let's go over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. And it took me decades to believe that truth too. But guess what? You don't have decades left in this life. You don't have decades left in this life. And I'm not trying to stress you out. But you can find much more truth now. You don't have to wait to the next life. You can find a lot of truth right now. Ephesians 4, verse 4. What page number is that? Page 207. Ephesians 4, verse 4, page 207. There's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord. And the Bible says that Jesus is Lord. It says it straight out. But it's talking about God. It's why it's talking about him. One Lord, one faith. If there's only one faith, then how come we've got a million faiths out there on the earth? One religion, one, religion, one faith. That's what it means. When it says when he and yet there's a million denominations, religions out there. There's one baptism. That means there's only one correct way of doing it. Verse 6 One one God. That's what it means. And He is the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That means He's ever and he is—he is in every human, even the lost. The breath of life that breathed into Adam and Eve is even in the drug addict, in the prostitute. The presence of God exists in the rocks, in the wood, in the fire, in the wind, in the clouds, in the moon rocks, in the meteor shower, and in the wicked. The presence of God is in all and through all. But to each one of us, grace is given. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. According to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, that he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Amen. Praise God. Now, let's go over to Colossians 1. Read 10 on skip that. Colossians 1 is so magnificent. page 2.14. Page 2.14. Page 2.14, Colossians 1, verse 15. This is huge. This is huge. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible Theos. That word image, we got to look to see if Hebrews 1. I'm going to look at that real fast. Hebrews 1 and 3. I'm going to look to see what that says. Hebrews 1 and 3. Yeah, Hebrews 1 3 says, I want you to go ahead and hold your finger in Colossians. Go over to page 232, Hebrews 1-3. Hebrews 1-3, in Theos, he, Christ, the reflected brightness of his glory and the carved image, that means graven image, of his substance, and upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the glue that holds all things together, as Philo said. Philo is the one that wrote Hebrews. Oh, praise God, Amen. So He's God, Jesus. Jesus is the graven image of God, Amen. When He came to Earth, He was the graven image of God. Going back to Colossians, Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible Theos, the firstborn of all creation. That means that before He created. the heavens and the earth, he first partitioned himself into portions. The portion that would eventually become the Son of God and the Son of mankind. But he's not a different person. He's not a different person. Verse 16, by him all things were created both in the heavens and in the earth, visible and the invisible. Whether they are thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the glue that holds all things together. In your body, there's something, I forget what it's called, that... Looks like a cross, and it is the glue of your body that holds all things together. Amen. He is in all and through all. This is dice, verse 14: In whom we have redemption. Redemption, he's the Redeemer, the forgiveness of sins is through him. He is the image. Of God. He is the one that created all things. If He created all things, that makes Him the Father. Amen? Amen. If Jesus created all things, that makes Him the Father. He's the Creator, that makes Him the Father. Amen. Amen. Now, let's look at the Bible verses. That the Trin- Trinitarians use to try to teach a Trinity. Let's look at their main points. 1 John 5, that's over there next to the book of Revelation, 1 John 5, verse 7. 1 John 5, verse 7. This is where they're always going to point you to every time. And I'll tell you why. 1 John 5, verse 7, in the Alpha and Omega Bible says, For there are three that testify, the Spirit, water, and the blood. These three are in agreement. But then the King James Version adds on to that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one, And so they're always going to point at that. There's a problem with that because those words never appeared in the oldest Bibles that we have on the planet, anywhere on the planet it was never written in the oldest Bibles nor even quoted by anyone before 450 AD 450 AD. it was not in the Bible it's not found in any any of the old manuscripts not one so we know that verse has been added into the Assyrian Assyrian manuscripts from which the King James was translated. So that's an easy thing to prove. We've got documentation for it on the website, on the Trinity article. Very easy to prove, very easy to believe as well because we have proof And because it would go completely contrary to the rest of the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach three different beings. So we know it was added. Then let's go over to Matthew 28, the last chapter of Matthew. Matthew 28.
2: Verse 19.
0: Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the different races, nations, ethnicities, baptizing them in water in my name. All your other Bibles, all of them except for the Alpha Mater Bible. Adds to it, it says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, according to what translation. Now, that addition of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost did appear in some of the old manuscripts. It did. But there's a problem with it being in those old manuscripts. And part of the problem is, there was a very famous so-called church father that was born around 270 A.D., died around 340 A.D. Uh, let see if I can pronounce this. Decibius. Decibius. Decibius was very famous to this very day. Very well-acknowledged biblical scholar. And... He wrote a book that talked about how the Bible had been corrupted. He actually wrote a book about it, how the Bible had been corrupted, how some of the Bible verses had been inserted or twisted in some of the newer Bibles that had recently came out in the years of 200s and 300s A.D. And he wrote in that book. Now, that book has been so-called lost supposedly destroyed in wars, but we know that he wrote in it that Matthew 28, verse 19, had been corrupted. We know that much from what people said about what he had written in that book. So he, living in that day and time, and being very rich and famous and powerful, of that day and that time, he had resources, and he was able to obtain manuscripts at that early time in history. And he quoted repeatedly, not just one, two, or three times, but many, many, many different times throughout his writings, not just in that book, but other books and other writings that we actually do have copies of that can be found, that is. He repeatedly quoted it with just saying, baptizing them in my name, Without saying the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He always quoted it without the Trinity formula. Always. Every time. Even though he wrote it many, many, many different times in many different manuscripts, he always quoted it in the short form of baptizing them in my name. Never did he quote it as Father, Son, Holy Ghost in that verse. So we know that. And like I said earlier in the sermon, we can look at agent quotes, whether it's from Jesus or the prophets or the apostles or Josephus or Philo or Ascibius, any of these people. We can look at agent writers and agents, forefathers, and look at their quotations and know the truth about what was in the Bible. Amen. It would not make sense with the rest of Scripture. Amen. Let's go to John 14. And we'll stop in John 14, but we're going to read quite a bit in John 14. John 14 is such a fundamental, core chapter of the Bible. It is core to the core. (laughs) It is so amazing. John 14 is so important. I recommend any Christian and every Christian, anybody that claims to know God or want to follow God to read this chapter it is so fundamental and important and the people people that believe in our trinity will always go to john 14 but yet they would take it out of context and not read the whole chapter of course but they point to verse 16 immediately John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and in other Bibles it says, I will give you another comforter. I will give you another comforter. So they say, well, that's another, must be another God, but the Holy Ghost is another person, another person. Three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But let's go back and read some of the previous verses so that we get the context, amen? Let's go back up to verse 5. John 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Master, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, and people would say, "Well, they're right there. You've got at least two—the Father and Jesus." Do you have to keep reading. Amen. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. You can't get more clear than that. You want thunder and lightning? Because thunder and lightning would not be more clear than what it says. This is thunder and lightning. You can't get more clear than that. He's calling himself the Father. You want to know him? You see me. His flesh was the curtain. The Bible says so, right? The Bible says that his flesh was the veil that was torn into. For God. Amen. So, when he says that you have to go through him to get to the Father, that means you have to go through his crucifixion and his resurrection. But Jesus was simply the graven image of the invisible God. Amen. He was a robe he is a robe of God. That's what Jesus was In the flesh, he was a robe, a manifestation of the one God. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? Philip, he has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say so is the Father? How can you get more clear than this? This is thunder and lightning. That's how powerful this is. You can't get more clear than this. Jesus is calling himself the Father. And if he's calling himself the Father, then he's calling himself God. Amen? And he's not making a separation here, although there are parts of God 1 Corinthians 15 says that he shall become whole again once he puts all things under his feet. His left hand and his right hand will merge back into being one partition and not two partitions. Get down to verse uh, 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father abiding in me does his work. The Father in him was his spirit, his spirit inside the flesh. The Father was the soul of Jesus. Verse 11, believe me. That I am in the Father and Father in me, otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen. I say to you, he who entrusts his soul to me, entrust his soul to me, not to another, not to a third, not to a second, but to him. He's calling himself God. He's calling himself the Father. The works that I do, he do also, and greater than these will he do because I go to the Father. He's just saying. That that petition of God, that part of God, has got to go back to heaven, where he belongs, where he was before, as the Bible says. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, in his name, not in somebody else's name. Amen? In my name. That will I do. I do, not somebody else do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son, in the Son, or in the flesh. Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I would do it. If you love me, you would keep my commandments. He didn't say God's commandments, Father's commandments. He's saying my commandments, my commandments. He's calling himself God. He's calling himself the Father. And he's not separating God from himself. Verse 16, I will ask the Father. He would give you additional advocate. So here the Alpha and Omega Bible translates it, rather than another comforter, Is more accurately translated as more advocate, or additional advocate, or more advocate, that I may be with you forever. Notice it says that I may be with you forever, rather than the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, or the Father. So when you get baptized and you receive the Holy Ghost of Jesus in you, the presence of God, to dwell inside you, who is it? Well, we notice the Holy Ghost. It says that over and over. And yet right here it says that it's Jesus. So Jesus and the Holy Ghost are one and the same spirit. We're baptized, Mark 16, 16, we must be baptized, but there's another verse that says, baptized into Christ Jesus. Baptized into Christ Jesus, the Bible says. So if we're baptized into Christ Jesus, and then another verse says we're baptized in one spirit, then we're baptized into the, the spirit of Jesus. And so that makes him the Holy Ghost. A ghost is a person that died, but is not sleeping. Still walking around, still talking, looking, seeing things, interacting. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Ghost. And yet the Holy Ghost is not a separate person. It is. The soul of Jesus that died is still walking around. Amen? The Holy Ghost and Jesus are not two different spirits. They're the same. So is the Father, all three. All three are not three people. It is three manifestations of God. I would even give you a fourth manifestation of God. He was God without beginning, without end, without Father apparently. Or anything else as far as origin, he was God. He was also the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. So that's a fifth manifestation of God. He was also the man that wrestled with Jacob all night long. So there's a sixth manifestation of God. Amen. He was also the fire at the burning bush. There is a seventh manifestation of God. And we could go on and own, and own, and own, and own. But he, he he, is not multiple gods or multiple persons. Amen. He just manifested, manifested himself in different ways at different times, in different measurements. Amen. And the last measurement for the wicked Will be the Lake of Far. Amen. That Lake of Far, everybody thinks the Lake of Far is just a swimming hole, a ocean of far down inside the earth. But the Lake of Far is actually God's presence, unhindered, unfiltered presence of God. That's going to envelope the entire earth when the judgment is declared about who would live and who would die in that fire. And the saints who are turned into spirit will be able, will be able to survive the fire because they have received eternal life. But the devil and his fallen angels and all the wicked will be devoured and destroyed and will die in that lake of fire. They will die. There will not be a devil and wicked people living forever because Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And yet all of your Babylonians, not all of them, but most Babylonian churches declare that you're going to have eternal life in hell, in the earth, in a fire that's not even God, and be tortured by computer printers or pitchforks for the rest, for all eternity. Or maybe a nagging wife for all eternity. But the truth is God is the consuming fire. Amen? God is the consuming fire. He is the consuming fire. And there should be nothing left. Malachi 4. It shall burn up. God shall burn up the root and the branch. And the wicked will be ashes under our feet in that day. Of the Lord Almighty. Amen? Praise God. Read the Bible. Read the Bible let's go back to John 14 here what verse was I at 16 all right verse 16 he's given us more advocate that word advocate is a legal term that means that he knows the law amen he knows the law and he stands for us as a attorney representing that our guilt has been paid for the fine has been paid we don't have to go to jail for our sins we don't have to suffer the second death the bible calls it the second death at the lake of fire. we don't have to be given the verdict of death eternal death because god paid the price for us jesus himself our own lawyer our own attorney attorney paid our fine to where we do not have to be sentenced into the death sentence. This is what this means. He is our attorney for the Father because he came in the flesh to save sinners. Amen. It's not a different person. He is. He is that attorney. He is that advocate. He is that manifestation of God. That's not a separate person. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, Amber will baptize into Christ, will baptize into one spirit, and that is the spirit of truth. Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life. Amen. That spirit of truth is what is called the comforter in other translations. Amen. Look at John 14, verse 6 again. John 14, verse 6, I'm the way and the truth. And then look at verse 17. The Spirit of truth is what he's calling the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, the Advocate. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see or know that you know because that Spirit of truth abides in you and will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. (laughs) Ha ha! Woo! Baby! Woo! I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Who will come to you? He says, "I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans." Praise the Lord. Alleluji, eluji That's how you say Hallelujah, because Hallelujah is a corruption and is demonic. Do not praise Yah. Praise Jesus. Alleluji. Praise Jesus. That's the correct way to say it. Alleluji. Praise God. Over and over and over throughout the Bible, it says, hallelujah, if you correctly translate it, praise and honor and glory and blessings be unto until ye. Amen. That's what it says over and over in Revelation. And so that goes right back to Revelation 21, verse 7, that if you come to me, I will be your God. Who said that in Revelation 21, verse 7? Jesus said that. He said, I am the faithful witness. He signed his name on the Bible. Jesus did. He said, I am the faithful one. I am the amen. I'm faithful. I'm true. I am the truth. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful witness. Amen. John 5, Jesus says, I am the witness. Amen. John 1 says he came as a witness. Jesus did. He came as a witness as in the flesh that he is the Father, that he is God, that he is the Savior, that he is the Redeemer, that if you come to him, he will not leave you orphans. That means he is your Father. Jesus right here is calling himself the Father. He's also calling himself the Holy Ghost. That's the Spirit of Truth. These are not three different beings. This chapter is saying as strong as thunder and lightning that there's one spirit, one God. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the Father in the Spirit. He's also the Holy Ghost and the Ghost, and He is the Son of God in the flesh. Let's say that again. Jesus is the Father in the Spirit or in the breath. He is the Father in the breath, the holy breath. And he is the Holy Ghost that died on the cross and rose again. That's Jesus. And he is also the son, the son of God and the Son of Mankind, but that doesn't make him another and another and another person. He's the Son of God and the Son of Mankind in the flesh, Father in the breath, the Holy Ghost in the ghost. It is not a million gods, is it? it is not a million people, amen. This is so clear, that people would just read the whole thing instead of just reading one verse, amen. I will come to you. He's the one that comes to us in the Holy Ghost. Verse 19, after a little while, the Lord would no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you would know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. I'm not the Holy Ghost there, that I will manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas Iscariot said to him, Master, what then has happened? that you are going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus' answered, said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My word. He's calling the scriptures his. Amen. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him. Well, he just said, and make dwelling with him, he said, I will come to you. Now he says he will come to you. He's saying that he is he, that he is he. Amen. Even John spoke about him himself in the third person, all throughout the entire book of John. John talked about himself in the third person. Here Jesus is talking to him about himself in third person, which doesn't mean he is a third person but rather it is a style of speech. Amen? A style of speech. When You talk about yourself in the third person. You're not saying you are a third person, but rather it is a style of speech. Amen. God does that throughout Scripture. Amen. John was not three people. But he talked about himself in the third person. Amen. And it says, verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words. I'm sure that could probably be translated does not keep my scriptures I'm sure it probably could and the word which you hear is not mine but the father who sent me that just simply means that only a small measure of God came down from heaven and through Mary was born as a babe. <clears throat> died on the cross and rose again it was only a small measure of himself he emptied himself out the Bible says and he was the image of the invisible God these are only portions of God parts of God parts of God does not equal persons verse 25 these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. but the advocate the Holy Ghost whom the Father was sent in my name the same will te- teach all things and bring to you the remembrance all that I have said to you. The Father was saying, This Holy Ghost in my name. They have the same name. The Father has the same name. The Son has the same name. The Holy Ghost has the same name, and the same Spirit, and the same person, and the same being, and the same law, and the same commandments. And the same scriptures, you cannot separate these things. They're all one, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. Amen. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That means trust God. Amen. Trust God. You heard that I said to you, I go away. I will come to you. Who's the Holy Ghost? Who's the Father that will come to us? It said that the Father would come to us. It said the Holy Ghost would come to us. And it said, I will come to you. It's all the one spirit. One spirit. You're going to have three people come to you? Three people come and reside inside your body? That's nothing but demon possession. Three demons, a legion of demons. This is clear, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all coming to us, but they are not three. They are one. They are the one same Spirit. As the Bible says over and over, the one Spirit, 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 spirit, over and over. Amen? Verse 28, you heard that I said i will go, i will come. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater, a greater measure, than what came in the flesh. 29, I've told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Again, that's a quotation, basically, of Isaiah and Amos. And then verse 30, I, well, we start right. right there. So God is good. I don't think we can get more clear you just gotta get out of your mind that the Father is six foot tall, and the son is six foot tall, and the Holy Ghost is six foot tall. Because the reality is is that these are different roles, even as Kimakazia was a role in manifestation, even as the burning bush was a manifestation, even as the man that wrestled with the shaker even as the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, but day and night, was manifestations of God but all the one same Spirit. Amen. Okay, I would now open up the chat room for anybody that's listening live that might have any questions. And anyone here in person that might have any questions, feel free to type into the chat room and ask your questions. Honest questions. while I give people time to type in any questions you may have, I will mention that since this is the 12th month, the ninth day of the 12th month, that February 25th will be the 14th of the 12th month. The Book of Esther tells us to observe observe, terms on the 14th and 15th day of the 12th month. However, the situation is that this month or this year, this year we're going to have a 13th month. And if we look at Daniel 12, talking about 1,290 days, That 1290 is a 30-day difference from what the Bible repeatedly talks about, the Great Tribulation being 1260. So we have a 30-day difference between Purim and Passover. If we observe Purim in this year, in the 12th month, and then we have a 13th month, then you have 60 days, not 30. Between pen and castors. So I do believe that there is allowance by God for the people that did sit at one time in Moses' seat, as Jesus Himself said, that the scribes and Pharisees at that day and time did sit in the seat of Moses to be able to make certain decisions, certain decisions. Um uh, and I believe that it's a decision that makes sense to observe Pern in the final month of the year, even though Asteri says the twelfth month. However, to be on the safe side, I believe that it would be acceptable and good for us in our own personal homes and your own personal life to observe perm as a day of feasting and celebration, this month, Thursday and Friday, as a time to have an extra meal, maybe say extra prayer, maybe read Bible a little bit more, to observe it just to be on the safe side and still yet have perm next month as well. As far as right now, we're not going to have a worship service uh, Thursday or Friday, That I might change my mind on that. I'm going to pray about it some more. But we would definitely, definitely have services next month on the term of the 13th month. And welcome anybody to chat with me or email about this additional, if you want more additional edification, questioning. I'm open, very welcome open to that. Now, AJ had a different question, and he typed into the chat um, about asking about um, these women that are frivolous, that do not accept the role of submission to the man, can they be gotitized? And that's a very good question, brother. Disciple, very good question. And I would say that it would matter to a what degree, what degree, how severe of a situation it would be. If it is a woman that refuses to even confess that she's supposed to be submissive to the man, she won't even confess that she is supposed to be submissive to the man, then definitely she would not would not be able to be baptized. So it depends on how severe the situation is. I would leave that up to personal counseling. If you have a particular person in mind, to give me more details of the situation to where uh, I would know more about what the situation is. It would depend on the severity of the situation. But it's definitely God's will and the scriptures for women to submit themselves to The men, in every aspect, women to the husband, the uncles, to the pastors, to whoever the male leaders are, it's definitely God's will. We know that. Amen. And they must be willing to do that to a certain extent. Um, I would not baptize a woman that calls herself Uh, apostle because that would be an extreme level of feminism. I would not baptize a woman that calls herself apostle. I would not baptize a woman that um, calls herself a pastor without seeing that God is using her in that way, which would be an exception to a rule. Um, if the woman is being abusive to her husband, hitting him, giving him a black eye, uh, cussing her husband, then I will not baptize her until she repents of those sins and disrespecting her husband, hitting him or cussing him, then she is at a level of severity of where she will not be able to be baptized until she repents. So it just depends on how severe the situation is. Any other questions about anything? And then I would give you an example of a woman I might baptize that's not yet in the center of God's will. Is I really don't believe that women, according to the Bible, it's not my belief. I should not word it that way. I have no opinion, no right to my opinion. We have to go by what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches. According to the Bible, the women are to work at home. That's what it says. In general. Of course, there are exceptions. You can have a female nurse or a female police officer that does nothing but take care of the women when it is necessary. But in general, women are not to work outside the house except for only women work, like sewing, cleaning, cleaning houses, babysitting, sitting with elderly, But if they're going out and doing men's work, then in this day and time we've got to make a little bit of allowance in such a situation. It depends on what kind of job they're doing. And I would look at an individual, each individual on an individual case and also determine the personal situation in that case. Even though I don't think women should be doing, or even the Bible said that women should not be doing certain things, then we've got to give them, in some cases we've got to be, depending on what the job is, what they're doing, we've got to be able to give certain women and even certain men time to grow in the truth. Amen. We've got to give people time to grow in the truth. So we don't expect anyone to be 100% perfect before they get saved, because that's impossible. So we have to give certain women or certain men extra time to grow, even after the – even everybody. Everybody's got to have time to grow after baptism. So it would depend on what their job situation is. But after baptism, over a period of time, they should be the women should be more and more and more willing to submit themselves to God and what the scriptures teach, and find a way. Find a way. And there's always a way if you look for a way to obey God. Everybody wants to use an excuse. Well, the woman has to work. We don't have enough income, or I don't have a husband, or whatever. There's always an excuse, but if you look for a way and pray about it and fast about it and seek how to obey the scriptures, God will eventually make a way. Amen. One way or another, whether it's welfare, social security, a uncle, a brother, a son, a grandson, pastor. Something, something would be provided for that woman if she decided to not work. Or at least for the majority of time. There might be time periods that there would be an exception, and there might even be some women that there would be an exception. Amen. I'm talking in general in general terms. We have to weigh each situation on its own merit. Each individual situation. Amen. Okay, I will close down the chat room, and I thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate everyone for listening, and of course, we'll be back next Saturday at the same time, at two o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Time. Praise the Lord. Uh, and I will say also, if you've been having problems listening. If it's been cutting out on you, maybe next week try a different browser, okay? Because it it works better different browsers, okay? So if it's been cutting out, if you're not being able to hear the whole sermon, if it's echoing, if you hear my voice twice, or anything other problems with this broadcast, try a different browser next week. For example, you might you may have been using Farfax, Mozilla. try a different browser, try the, the Brave browser next week. Or if you was using Brave browser, try Farfax or something else, try a different browser next week if you was having some kind of difficulty. Um, and this sermon has been recorded so that you can listen to it later. If you did miss anything, if you missed something, you came in late, or the internet is giving you problems the internet, or your browser is giving you problems, whatever the case may be, you can listen to the sermon. It's been recorded. And you can visit the website to find the recordings and to find also the article about the Trinity that would give you all the verses I gave you and more and other points. Okay? And that's at com. Isholdalightministries.com, and I got to say one more thing, and this is extremely important: the Antichrist, which I promise you, promise you in Jesus' name, according to the Bible, not my opinion, is the king, the president of Syria. That's what it says over and over and over and over and over again. So if you don't want to believe me, that's between you and God. God will judge you. God will condemn you. I'm just teaching what the Bible teaches. You can believe all you want to, that it's Trump, it's Obama, that it's Biden, it's Prince Charles, it's King of Russia, whatever, the President of Turkey, all these different opinions. But the Bible says The Assyrian, the king of Assyria, the Assyrian, the Assyrian, the Assyrian. And there's no Assyrian king allowed today except for the president of Syria. He's the only Assyrian king alive on earth today. The only one. And he is king of the Assyrians. So the president of Syria, Bashar Assad, evil be his name, his religion, the Trinity doctrine as being the core and foundation of his religion the core of his religion and the foundation of his religion the Trinity doctrine is fundamental and extremely important actually the number one most important doctrine in. Assad's religion, the anti crash religion. And if you look it up, it goes back to Assyria, the origin. The origin of the teaching of the Trinity goes back to the Assyrian Empire. And what came out of Assyria? Christmas and Easter and the Trinity came out of Assyria. But then you have the Assyrian Bibles, King James, and all the other Masoretic texts, which are Assyrian. There's nothing good that comes out of Assyria. But everybody wants to stay with an Assyrian Bible, and Assyrian Christmas, and Assyrian Easter, and Assyrian Trinity. And then say that it's the truth, and it's nothing but a lie. And I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. you got to be willing to let the truth change your false opinion.
1: Amen.
0: And so you're going to see the two horns of the false prophet, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, evil be their names. Two horns of the false prophet. And aside, three beings, three persons claiming to be God. And that's the purpose of the Trinity doctrine. The reason that you have been taught the Trinity doctrine by religion is so that you will worship the Antichrist and both posts. That is the express purpose the purpose for the Trinity doctrine existing within the churches of mankind. That is the purpose of the Trinity doctrine, so that you will worship the Antichrist and the two horns of the false prophet. It is core, foundational, fundamental, and extremely important to the Antichrist that you believe in a 3 person, three people, as God. So this is not a light thing. This is not a light thing. Nobody can be baptized who believes in the Trinity doctrine. And if you believe in the Trinity doctrine and you think you are saved, I tell you in the authority of Jesus Christ that you can't be saved and believe in three people as god because that is anti-christ it breaks the first commandment it breaks the first commandment the greatest commandment of all you cannot be saved and believe in the trinity you can't it's impossible so remember that man when you baptize people in the future Make for sure that you ask people to value leave. Do you believe in the Trinity? Because if they say they believe in the Trinity, you cannot baptize them. I don't care how much money that they have given to the church, how many tithes that they have paid, how fancy their long robe is. I don't care if they're strict in their religion, legalistic, and I don't care if they're circumcised. If they believe in the Trinity, they cannot be baptized. No exceptions period. Amen. Until they repent of that demonic teaching. And it is demonic to the core. Amen. The Lord is one. Amen. Praise, Praise Jesus. Okay. I'll let you all go. Love you very much. God bless everyone that stayed and listened.